Thank you for joining us again. This is episode four of the Valiant Podcast uh, for the Cannabis Consulting, General Contracting, and Business Development. Um, we are joined here today by Maggie Supri and Nikki John from the Heritage Club. Um, they currently have a location in Charlestown. Um, would you like to give us a um, little background of yourselves? Yeah, sure. Want to go first? Yeah, sure. So Nikki and I, we met when we were in high school. I was a senior. She was a freshman. Um, after, you know, we went off to college and law school, and we both found ourselves working professionally in Boston, both in real estate, and we kind of linked back up that way. Um, she was in the social equity program. I was consulting for a, a cannabis law firm out in Western Mass. We kind of just put the pieces of the puzzle together and decided we should go forward trying to open a dispensary of our own. Yeah. Excellent. Well, what is your background? Yeah, so I went to Northeastern for undergrad and studied finance and minored in psychology. And after I left school, I started my own real estate brokerage as soon as I graduated. And I've been running that for five years, which has been a lot of fun, challenging, very different from cannabis, but definitely um, been successful with that. So, All right. Well, that's exciting. You guys are clearly above the above the, the curve on trying to get into Boston with the social equity um, and economic empowerment. So how does, how'd you guys come up with the name of THC? The Heritage Club. Yeah. yeah. So funny enough, Maggie and I were working on a deal in real estate and the condo association's name was Heritage. And as we were just thinking up names, we wanted something that didn't sound like a typical just weed store. Those are our initials, but we wanted the overall meaning of it to, to really stand for something. And our motto is where we're from is where we give back. Mm-hmm. So that's really why why it's so important to us that we're from Boston and that we give back to, to where we're going to be working. Okay, excellent. Can you um, give us a little background on, obviously, you both are women. It's been challenging to get into business as it is. And obviously, um, African-American and with the, LBG, the L, LGBTQ community, um, how difficult it was for it's difficult enough for one person to do it it must be incredibly difficult for both to do it and then rise up to the ccc and decide that you want to get your own dispensary open it up in boston and then actually be able to sell to people and have a successful business exactly yeah all of that it's been um really challenging just to be heard and have people take us seriously that's been the hardest part a lot of people are like well what do you know Well, we both feel like we know a lot. We've been doing a lot of research over the past year and a half. It it hasn't been a a quick and easy process getting up to where we are today, which is finally getting to present in front of the community and um, to Boston and then hopefully the CCC in about a month or so. Um, But it's also hard when you don't have a lot of peers that look like us who can encourage us and tell us what they went through and how they um, got financing, dealt with the politics. I know we've been dealing with a lot of... um, the politics lately just to get to the community meeting and it's discouraging but we're really positive people and we have each other to lean on so mm-hmm. it's good that there's two instead of one and that's been great yeah especially where we're you know bootstrapping this on our own up into this point you know you I say we you know we're scrappy we've we've certainly been finding ways and loopholes to you know get people who aren't picking up our phone calls to start paying attention to us and we're really trying to hammer home that, yes, of course, you know, we're women and we're representing the black community, the LGBTQ community, but we're qualified just beyond that. Um, but we do see that this is a really great opportunity for Boston to sort of, you know, bridge the gap that exists in, in respect to, you know, gender inequality and racial disparities and, um, you know, really honor their commitment that they made to empowering women and people of color. Okay. So can you give us a 
kind of a background of how difficult it was to get to the, to the CCC. So you guys first started, you came together in high school. Yeah. Then you said, okay, we want to open up a weed dispensary. Yeah. And that's all exciting, but now you got to come up with your business plan. You went to the CCC and said, okay, how do we apply for our license? What happened from that step? Yeah, so I joined the social equity program. I applied for it in, in June of 2019, and by the end of the year, they had kind of created an outline for what that program would look like. And in that post first cohort, we were able to go through six months of courses on the licensing process, um, what they're looking for from someone who would qualify to, to get a license. And we were able to learn all of that, but not how you get started, how you get the financing. Like we were able to work on a mock business plan, but not one that shows um, a fully integrated business. It kind of just focused on just maybe one license type and our goal is to be fully integrated. So how do you present that? Um, and even with our business backgrounds, we're raising millions and not um, maybe just a few thousand to start a, a small business. So it seems like they kind of gave you the answers to the test to get the license, but they didn't really teach you how to run a business. You've been part of a business before, but running a business is totally different. Yep. Okay. So you got your CC, you got through the CCC, you selected the property. How did you go about selecting Charlestown? And obviously you said you're bootstrapping this. Um, you have to have a lot of money to be able to afford rents. Going through the CCC takes a long time, um, minimum of six months to go through the whole process, um, all the paperwork and everything. How are you guys affording to do this if you haven't raised enough funds to be able to open up yet? Definitely. Um, so one thing we were able to do is work out a deal with our landlord where we don't pay any rent until we're licensed. A lot of people spend thousands on those holding costs. Um, both of us have real estate, real estate experience and we've been able to bring that to this new venture and um, kind of work out something that is good for both the landlord and us and helps us stay afloat when a lot of businesses sink before they, they get started. Okay, so you're, you're not paying any rent until you get your CCC license. That's Correct. fantastic. Yeah. That's a, definitely yeah. an unusual arrangement. Congratulations. Yeah, we've been, we've been very fortunate in, in the landlord department. They've been very, very helpful. They've been a great resource. They've been patient with us. Um, and that's one thing I think with any relationship that you're developing with your engineers, your um, GCs, your landlords, anybody that you're working with, you have to make sure that that relationship is strong and that there are good and clear and transparent lines of communication. Um, and in our regard, our landlords have owned this this property for generations, so they know the lay of the land very well, mm -hmm. which has been hugely helpful in you know with respect to reaching out to neighbors, um, abutters, other businesses in the neighborhood. And these are all people that we want on our team and that we want to be good neighbors to. So they've been been very helpful in that regard. And they're definitely committed to diversity. And that's why they, they believe in they us do. and they are really patient with us because we're learning. Like we said, we have a lot of skills, but it's a new industry. So things are changing. And we found really good partners who have the same vision as us. Mm -hmm. For sure. So tell us about the financing. How, how, how much money are you trying to raise? How much money have you raised? And where did you come up with kind of the pro forma and, and how much you need to, to, to open up? Um, have you gotten your architecture plans? Have you got your, your engineers? Are you ready to build? So we kind of have taken a different approach to this. I think a lot of people would have spent 30000 just on consulting. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time interviewing people in the industry, experts asking, including Valiant, what we should do. Um, and that's been a huge help as far as choosing the right partners and, and getting the information before you get started. So we're trying to raise about $3 million just for our retail 
business. And if you had asked me this a year ago, I was like, 750,000, we'll be fine. <laughs> and the amount of people who like <laughs> laughed at me when I sent them my documents, I was like, please just take a look at this. And they're like, you really think you can do it for 750? And I said, yes. And now I'm saying definitely not. <laughs> Three, four times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to cost a lot more. And a lot of that has to do with being in downtown Boston versus maybe like a Holyoke or a Worcester. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very different market. And just the permitting process, the holding costs while you wait for those permits and the zoning board to approve our project. Um, and as far as the pro forma, even having had a financial background, it it's very different in cannabis. There's not a lot to like go off of. Usually you can Google an industry and tons come up. But here, people haven't been sharing what their successes or failures have been, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of financial numbers quite yet. Don't want to keep it close to the chest for sure. Exactly. exactly. So what's your plan for opening up? Uh, is that $3 million? Does that include the operating costs to get started um, have you thought about that um, have you thought about where you're gonna get your product from wholesale markets the prices and where they're gonna be yeah so in regards to wholesale and where we're gonna be getting our products we've certainly put out feelers um, you know we're talking to as many people who will talk back um, but you know we're realizing we're gonna have to get different products from different vendors um, we would like to work with as as many females as possible we want to really promote and empower um, you know each other in this industry um, but again, that's, you know, kind of hard to, to come by because there are so few of us involved. But yeah, we've we've certainly have, you know, conversations started in regards to wholesale. And I think our biggest priority is just making sure that we're supplying our customers with quality and consistent products. Yeah. And to answer your question on cost, that is that $3 million does include that initial um, purchase of product that we're going to sell. So we're on a tight budget. <laughs> yeah, we know we're on a tight budget. And um, that's part of why we're trying to build these relationships early yeah. we know that's going to make a difference we will have to pay for those those things but well the most exciting part about this is that you've you said okay you're still learning but you took the learning curve and you're actually learned and you actually yes. are planning for all these things there's plenty of people we talk to that say okay i need this okay if you thought about this 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 and this and then you look at us with a couple different yeah <laughs> exactly side eyes saying oh my god we don't we don't have that what do we do so then you add that to their budget and it blows up their entire pro forma yeah. So I'm glad you guys, women, thought about that. Yeah. Another question about, you said there's not a lot of women in the industry and you want to pair up with people that are economic empowerment minorities. Yeah. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of opportunity. I mean, the CCC is very blatant about it. Yeah. Um, but why do you think that there is not enough women or minority owners in the industry so far? I, I think originally, right, when they wrote these regulations and they designed the system, that was the intent. Um, but especially in our experience, we are we are noticing some inequities um, in regards to people and applicants and groups that are putting applications in, and and they're moving along the process. And a lot of these people have are you know former former political aides, former um, political liaisons, things like that that we're up against. I mean, we're coming from a background in real estate. We're both from Boston, but we have mm-hmm. no real political ends. So I I think to some degree. Um, like to what I was saying earlier, I think that when they're you know giving these licenses out and they're accepting applications, I think they have to just remember the commitment that was made to women and people of color, um, because we're not necessarily seeing that in our experience. So I think that could have something to do with it. And I think that's you know an easy fix. It's just to be more mindful. And you know I think in order for Massachusetts to respect this industry, to trust this industry, I think that they have to honor the commitments that they made at that most basic level um and i think they just have to remember that and i think like i said right now obviously we have an unbelievable location we've got 
um, you know, a great team that we're putting together. We are representing, you know, we are females, we're representing the black and LGBT community. So like I said, I think um, remembering why they designed the system the way they did and who it was intended to empower would definitely help us see more women and people of color around us. Yeah, and to add to that, I would say that the reason that you're not seeing a lot of diversity in that sense is this business is being financed by white men because you need someone who owns the property outright. It can't be financed. You're also, I mean, the Globe article that came out that said the median net worth of a black person in Boston is $8. So if it takes $3 million, how many black people do I need to make this happen? I need all of them. And that's like the hardest part is that we're worried that even those people who we are expecting support from, we might not get it from. So it's really tricky. So let's elaborate on that. Um, you mentioned that it's been difficult to, to guide the politics. Um, what's some of your challenges around that? I understand the women aspect and the um, minority, black community, LGBT community. But just in general, even if you are just a regular applicant, people in Boston are having a very difficult time. What is the, the, the politics that are so challenging? Um, I would say that, you know, lice, people are being, people who have, you know, strong political ties are being considered for these licenses. And in our situation right now, we're essentially two groups, we're within a 0.2 mile radius of each other, and we're both vying for one license. And, you know, we're definitely concerned that we're up against someone who is a well-known and a well-respected public figure in the community. And we'd be foolish not to be, to be a little worried about that. Yeah. And it kind of feels like maybe in some cases, conversations have been going on for longer than has been publicly known mm-hmm. um, and that maybe people are going to get to skip rules that are required for us that won't be required for them and we're already trying to jump through hoops so it's just as we get like the social equity program to help ramp us up to get to the starting line those people aren't really at the starting line they're kind of just at the finish line waiting for us to start so then they can be like oh they finished first yeah. and that's the hard part is to see that and kind of watch it in slow motion where you're like do I have any like autonomy or control in this situation and we don't know if we do but we're going to try really hard (laughs) well it's opportunities like this that you can get your story out there and let people know that there is um significant challenges going on and hopefully people can reach out and help you out yeah Um, yeah. that's what we're hoping for so just kind of change tracks a little bit on just your business plan in general um we know how you got to the ccc we know how you got getting your license you have your loi with with the landlord but now operating your business um, what statistics have you came up with on how to get your wholesale agreements? Have you thought about that? Um, where your wholesale and where your flowers are going to come from? So we do have a few um, wholesalers in mind that we're reaching out to and just trying to find terms that are agreeable. We know when you're starting off the bat, you do have to pay for all the product, at least your first batch of it, and then finding a way to make those terms um, good for both parties. So we are thinking about it that way, um, just so the amount of cash that, that we're going to need can, can be optimized. Um, but also finding a variety of stuff. So we want to have product not just from the main wholesalers, from some of those craft suppliers and, like we said, women-owned businesses. T-Bear is one that we're really looking out for. Um, Yeah, we're really excited about that part and just getting to provide something different to the city that they can't get at the medical dispensaries if they're a rec patient or a rec consumer right now. I understood. Is there a product balance that you're looking for um, as opposed to flour, edibles? Is there, have you seen any trends that come through with the concentrates? Uh, is there a a, a, a product mix that you're trying to look for for the for that specific type? Because obviously you need to take your business and make it as profitable as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. have you looked at the, the trends and where the, the products are going? 
Yeah, and we're definitely trying to find a good balance of that, of what is required to, to run a good business. So obviously, the majority is going to be flour. But we think the edibles are going to change. I think they're around like 10% of sales in the state. And mm-hmm. if we can show that there's a variety, people don't just want chocolate. They don't just want cookies and brownies. Like, how do we provide them something cool, something different, um, something safe? Because we know there are regulations on the shapes you can make and all of that. So you have to be thoughtful. Um, but there is no branding in this industry right now in Massachusetts. And if we can bring really cool branding that is like appropriate and, and legal, we think we can make a difference and make edibles one of our main things that we sell. Do you agree with the trend for edibles? They're actually, for the last over the past quarter, they've been going down. Is that kind of a strategic move to try to bring it back up? Do you think that's where the market's going? I think it is because, at least in terms of the people that we speak to on a daily basis, and it could just be our demographic, um, they're always asking if we've heard of anything. Um, and I feel like if you hear people asking about it, uh, there's got to be more of them. It doesn't make it the most marketable type. So we will have the flour. We will have pre-rolls. We will have concentrate and whatever vapes are allowed at once we're up and running. Um, but just something that will set us apart, I think, that will be edibles. So on that aspect, do you think of being two women owners, LGBT community, minority owners, do you think that makes people feel more comfortable going into the store? Do you think that's actually going to attract um, more people that are more accepting of the culture? Um, do you think that that's been hindering the, the people going into the dispensaries at all? Or? I don't know if it's been hindering, but I do think, you know, representing what we represent might encourage people to come check us out before anybody else. I think, you know, we like to see ourselves as pioneering in a way, and we are doing it in a very thoughtful way and in a very strategic way because we want to make sure we do it in a right way. Um, so I do think when people hear our story and see us, I think they will be a little bit more inclined to come check us out over, um, you know, one that might be it also just a short drive away. For your story, we've, we have we saw that you have a, a, a way to give back to the community, a trust. Can you tell us about that, how, that yeah. how you came up with that? Yeah, so, you know, we have to give, you know, 3% goes back to the city of Boston um, in taxes. And, you know, that could go anywhere in the city. It could go to East Boston. It could go to Brighton. It could go to South Boston. It could go wherever. And the neighborhood in Charlestown that we are going to be located in is known as the Lost Village. And that area, actually, most people technically think it's Somerville, but there's, I think, three or four streets that are still considered Charlestown, and they go by the Lost Village. And we want to make sure that we give back to them. They do feel a bit disenfranchised compared to Charlestown proper. Mm-hmm. So what we're thinking, and you know, we've been in some talks with some of the neighbors about creating some sort of community trust. And you know, we'd create a board that would consist of us and a few members of the community, ideally. And uh, you know, we would just at the end of the year talk and decide what projects need to be tackled. They voiced a lot of concerns to us about inadequate lighting, safety concerns, and we think that those, you know, would be really, you know, easy and really appreciated and really helpful ways for us to give back by, you know, pat, you know, adding street lights or or adding extra security cameras to our facility or surrounding, just to kind of um, as a thank you. You know, we understand that we. People, there is strong opposition against the industry that we're trying to get into, and we know we're capable of doing good business and honest business, and a part of that is having the neighborhood as friends. So we definitely want to give back and help them out where we can. And not just friends. Maggie's from Charlestown, so family. And I think that makes us different. Like We're both from Boston, but it makes us different from other operators that are coming from out of state or that are more corporate is that 
We are accountable. She can't go home for the holidays. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nope, you're running the business. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. My dad's one of 10, too, and a lot of them are still in the neighborhood. So, yeah, they're spread out everywhere. I wouldn't be able to go anywhere if oh, I was boy. bringing bad business to town. <laughs> exactly. So they're going to come in and check on you every once in oh, a while. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not a town you want angry <laughs> at you either. No. Those people. Speaking they're of, tough. Yeah, we saw that the town, the movie. Yep. Uh, so we got how you, how you started where the ccc license is where your your uh, how your business is going you've obviously thought about all the challenges the consultants that helped you out so far has there been anybody in particular that's been very helpful for for our viewers to maybe reach out to is there anybody that yeah there's definitely a few um well first we want to thank you guys for just helping us tell our story because if you can't tell your story and you can't get support behind it it's not going to come to fruition so the fact that you guys believe in us enough to share that is huge having people have faith in you is huge um Another person I'll say is Scott Newman at Adaptive HR. They are a really cool company and what they're offering in terms of how you can be, um, give benefits um, and 401ks and all of that to your employees I think is cool. But he introduced me to all of the key, like the most key people that we've been dealing with were intros through him. I have a little Excel sheet where I keep that. I'm like, oh, Scott, Scott. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's huge. Fantastic. So you have a big support group. Um, so now where do you see yourself growing the business in the next five years? You mentioned the beginning of the call that you want to be ver- the beginning of the podcast that you want to be vertically integrated. Does you see that happening in five years? That's very exciting and a huge undertaking. So are you ready for it? Yeah, we're definitely ready for it, but we understand that that's probably coming towards the end of the five years, <laughs> just the way <laughs> things are looking right now. Um, but we would like to open up the retail and, and grow and manufacture our own products. Uh, it gives us the ability to say we know where this came from, and that's not something that maybe some of the smaller shops are able to do. So it's going to also cost money. So mm-hmm. I think we have to be patient and, and really organized. And as we mentioned, we, we have the skills to start it. We need to find the right partners for something like growing. We have the partners for retail, but finding partners for growing, for manufacturing, that's a, a much bigger undertaking. For sure. Um, in the next five years, I mean, there's been a lot of talk through the social media outlets through online the government obviously the government's a complete crapshoot right now yeah. but do you think legalization is going to be coming in the next five years is it going to hinder your business or do you think it's going to be kind of a uh, either a moot point or you just not even think it's going to happen i definitely think that it's it's happening right and especially if you know we're at you know in an economic crisis this would be a wonderful way to you know change that taking a play out of fdr's playbook and to end Mm -hmm. prohibition um i do think it's going to happen i think you know demand will go up prices will go down um you know once it's interstate but i think it will definitely have an effect it will bring prices down um on the actual wholesale pricing, which is good for margins, but at the same time, there could be product from other states, so we're gonna be competing on that front. There could also just be a lot of, um, I guess, competition interstate-wise, just dropping prices, so a race to the bottom, and that's scary too, because when you invest this much to open a retail shop, you wanna make sure that you're able to pay back your investors. So I don't think it will happen at the very beginning of these five years that we're starting out on, but I, I do see it coming. Okay. Well, we appreciate you coming on today. This has been actually very educational for our group, and I hope the listeners actually got to understand a little bit on how difficult it is for the LGBT community, for the the minority community, the black community, women in general, to actually get into this business. And hopefully you can actually take the risk, take the undertaking, and get in. Um, Please reach out to them both. Um, When we post this online, you'll be able to put their email addresses in. You can reach out from there, their phone numbers. And if you don't want to help them out, want to give them any business, any uh, business advice, or even money. Um, I know you guys are in your fundraising stage, so 
let's uh, let's get you guys funded. Awesome. Um, awesome. Do you have Thank you. Say to your viewers beforehand. Thank you very much, and you know we look forward to joining the market and coming and visit us. Thank you. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. <laughs>